How discerning could aging warriors have been about a society lady from New York? Maybe she was only overdressed in comparison to the drab wives of the soldiers. She wasn't gaudy so much as stylish. She came from Brooklyn, after all, and thought herself an artist. Not only did no one know what Weldon looked like, no one knew how old she was. According to Vestal, she was nearing that age at which some women suffer a change and do unaccountable things. But women, like men, do unaccountable things at many ages. I had a hunch that Vestal was blaming Weldon's impulsive journey on menopause, which might put her in her late forties or fifties, although many men make jokes about hot flashes and temper tantrums in women in their thirties. I did a little reading. Vestal was a colorful enough character that several biographies have been written about him, and found out that his wife left him when she was forty. Filing for divorce, she blamed her discontent on the debts her husband had incurred in carrying out his research, the months he left her with their daughters while he traveled around the West gathering material for his books, his behavior when he drank, the shabby house they lived in, and her hatred of the Oklahoma town in which he forced her to live so he could teach at the university, and of the other faculty wives, whom she called those Norman bitches. In her younger years, Isabel Vestal had published a few short stories, but her career shriveled as his prospered. She wanted to regain her health and devote herself to literature. I am an artist, not a household slave, she insisted. Vestal granted that she had a point, but only about his debts. The rest of her objections he blamed on her psychotic condition brought about by menopause and anemia. Deep in the boxes of Vestal's collected papers at the University of Oklahoma are notes from an interview that Vestal conducted with a Lakota warrior named Little Soldier, who claimed that Weldon was 37 years old when she lived with Sitting Bull. The very specificity of this number led me to believe it. Why would Little Soldier invent an age of 37 instead of, say, 38? But I had to wonder how he got that number. Did he walk up to her and ask? How did he know the English word for 37? My confusion grew as I unearthed newspaper accounts from Weldon's time. Many reporters gave her age as early 30s and described her as attractive. But these same reporters repeatedly called her an old crank. All I could say for sure was that a widow with a son in his early teens couldn't have been much younger than 30 or much older than 53 nor was I able to turn up clues to Weldon's early life. In none of her letters does she mention her childhood. The only relatives she discusses are a nephew and niece who lived in Kansas City. She never mentions her husband. When I started my search, I found only one hint as to what her life was like before she met Sitting Bull. In 1964, a writer named Charles Handelman published an article in The West, nearly identical to the story published a few months earlier by David Humphreys Miller, down to the mislabeled photo of Sally Battles. Just one tidbit seems new. A present-day informant, Mrs. Anne Harding Mordock, Princess Suntama of New York's surviving Matinecock tribe, told Handelman that Mrs. Weldon made several visits with her brush and palette to the remnant Indian groups of the eastern seaboard, before she went to Standing Rock. Matinecock is an ambiguous name for a group of Indians who lived on Long Island. 
Weldon seems to have confined herself to painting whatever Indians she could find within a short distance of her home while her husband was alive. After his death, she left Christie in New York and traveled west to meet some Indians whose traditions hadn't yet been corrupted by whites. In this light, her husband's death seems less a misfortune than a liberation. She didn't care if she remarried. Maybe she didn't like men. Or she resented the restraints of Victorian marriage. Weldon enters history only when she travels west and helps Sitting Bull fight the government's policy of allotment. It wouldn't be much of an exaggeration to say that the only whites in America who actively opposed the opening of the Great Sioux Reservation to white settlers were Catherine Weldon and her friends, Thomas and Cora Bland, who ran the Indian Rights Association to which she belonged. Bad enough that the Lakota tribes had been confined for twenty years to the Great Sioux Reservation, a tract of land that, though a fraction of the size of the territory the tribes originally inhabited,